Um, if you have your Bibles, grab those. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Um, and we're just going to start a new series. It's going to run a few weeks. Uh, so this will be, I don't, I don't I say a few weeks because I don't know how long God's going to let us go in it. Um, and so as we just press in and just seek Him and uh, just try to figure out what in the world is going on. Anybody ever say that phrase, what in the world? Yeah, yeah. And why do you say that phrase? It's usually because you've looked at something and you're trying to figure out. You're, you're trying to get a better picture. You're, you're trying to understand more deeply what it is that's taking place. And usually when you say, what in the world? It's because there's something that's just not normal or not right or it doesn't present itself in a way that you're used to or you're thinking, I wonder what's going to happen next or they're going to get hurt or it's kind of one of those moments. Kind of like the, hey, hey, watch this, which usually never ends in a good way after that is said, right? And so it's kind of one of those type of sayings. And so what I, what I want to do is I just, we're in a place and a time in our world that, that I just want to just kind of push pause and, and hopefully build a foundation upon which we can look at this world and really say what in the world, but we can understand and know what's really happening, what, what's really taking place, what's, what's really going on in our world. And, and I would even go as far as to argue as crazy as things are right now, that this isn't the craziest that it's ever been. There are, there are still far crazier and more horrific times if you look at our history, if you look at the very beginning of history. And so it just rears its head in different ways. It, it just shows itself in different ways. So I want to ask you this morning if you'd join me as we pray, um, and then we'll jump in here shortly into Ephesians chapter 2. But, but Father, we, we, we need you. God, we readily admit that. I admit that, uh, Jesus, said that, that I desperately desperately need you. Father God, the men and women in this room desperately need you. And so God, we're going to lean into uh, what you've said. God, we're going to rely on uh, the words that you have spoken. And Father, we need you to build in us a foundation upon which we can stand when we look at how things go in this world, a place that we can come back to, a bedrock that we can be planted upon. And so, Father, as we look at your word this morning, as we open it up and hear your, your gospel proclaimed, Father, I pray that you'll start to shape and mold us all the more into the image of your glorious Son. Oh, Father, that you would help us have a, a biblical worldview as we look at things, as we see things. God, the lens by which we look, God, may it go through your word first. May you be the filter upon everything that we assess and act upon. And so God, I pray this morning that you speak to the hearts of the people here in this room as well as those that are watching remotely online, Father, that your Holy Spirit would stir the hearts of the people. And God, you would do what I beg of you to do week in and week out is that you would save the lost. God, if there be one here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, God, that you would rescue and redeem. God, if there be one watching that don't know you as, as King of King and Lord of Lords, God, that you would rescue them from their current state of sin and lostness, that you would redeem and so, Father, there is freedom in this place this morning for you to do whatever you see fit. Jesus, may you speak in a mighty, mighty way. God, help us hear what you have to say. Shame we pray. Amen. So what we have is biblical history. And that's just a record of God acting in and over history as sovereign over everything. 
simply meaning God in control of all things at all times in every circumstance in every situation that he's well aware of that he is moving and doing in those uh, things that are happening and so what we see throughout biblical history is this is that he scatters the nations over the whole face of the earth he determines their allotted period and their allotted boundaries he chooses a people and he makes an irrevocable promise to he chooses a people and he promises them and he gives them land. And he gives them a, a great future. And then he, in that he sends famine sometimes and he sends prosperity sometimes. In that he gives life and he takes life away. In that he lifts up one king and he'll cast down another. See, God brings all time to its fullness and he sends his son to the world and he brings him to the cross according to his own plan and his own foreknowledge. And he raises him up from the dead. And what does he do upon that? He builds his church. And he will one day come in his splendor and his glory to save and to judge so that the knowledge of his glory will fill the earth. That's the redemptive history. That's the biblical history and plan. And so it's just a record of God who acts like an owner, who assumes absolute rights over this world, who is in control of all things, all nations, all individuals, who has a purpose and a plan, and he does nothing out of just aimless wonder, or aimless acting. He has a purpose and a plan that will not be derailed. Nothing will frustrate and upset. The whole aim, a whole aim of the creator is to display his glory, his grandeur, his wisdom, his power, his wrath, and his mercy. And so church, this morning, I want to encourage you in that. May we never, as his people, ever forget that he's in complete control, even in the midst of what seems to be chaos, even in the midst of what seems to be calamity, that God is not a God that is out of control, reacting, but he is actionary. He is in the middle, working and doing behind the scenes, though it may appear that he has is, he is taken a break or he has taken vacation or he is fearful of the COVID or he is fearful of certain things. That's not the reality with God. God is in the midst of all the craziness, working something for a greater purpose and a greater plan. Which brings us to the question, if that's the case, what in the world is going on? What is he doing? What is happening? And so that's what I want to look at. That's what I want to dive into. I want to look at God's word and really examine what's going on in our world. What's, what's happening? Because what I believe is this is just little symptoms of a deeper issue. Right? You go to the doctor with a little cough, a little tickle in your throat, some things going on, you don't feel well, things like that. But it's usually just symptoms of a deeper issue. It's just symptoms of something greater that's going on internally that they need to figure out. And these symptoms present themselves in certain ways. Why? So that they can trace them out, they can follow them out, so they can get back to the root of the cause, what's really happening and what's really taking place. And I would argue that that's exactly what's happening in our world. That's exactly what's taking place in our world world. They're just symptoms of a deeper issue. And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at what those are. And it starts with a condition that every single person in this room has or has had. And so I just want to look at a deeper level what that is. And so to get us to that place, what we need to do is we need to look at the doctrine of original sin. We need to understand, as we finished up a series a few weeks ago, this, this reality of us needing to know doctrine, us needing to know truth, us needing to know what the Word of God says, us needing to know the heart and character and nature of God and what He stands for. This doctrine of original sin just says that all people everywhere and at all times, since the fall of our first parents into sin, they have an innate depravity of their heart, which leads them to sin as soon as they're able to sin. That, that we're all fallen, that we're all broken. 
This is a universal condition of all mankind. And it's a result of the disobedience of our, of our father, Adam, and God's judgment upon him. That, that it's a result of, of, of us just being born. We're born sinners. This is what Romans 3.23 says. We, we see this all throughout the scriptures. In the teaching of God's word, it, it points to the fact that there's something that's went horrifically wrong. There's something that's went horrifically wrong in us. Romans 3.23 says it like this. It says that all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How many? Oh, what does that mean? That means every single person born of man, every single person, the only one without sin is Jesus. The only one not born of the seed of man, but born of the seed of God into Eve, into this, into Eve, um, into, into this world, that, that Jesus is the only perfect, sinless, spotless person, but that you and I, born of man, have sinned. We're all sinners. Everyone, apart from God's presence in and on us, us, we always go after sin when left to self. We always go after whatever feels best, whatever brings pleasure to us, whatever our heart and our desire are. So we sin because that's who we are. We don't become sinners because we've sinned. No, we, it, it just reveals all the more the depravity of our heart. And so we sin it's because of who we are, because our nature is corrupt, because our hearts are depraved. And so there's a fatal flaw in the human character. And it's sin. And we've talked about sin before in the past, have we not? Sin is to miss the mark. And we get all cutesy with it and we think, okay, well, there's this target and we, it's an archery term and we pull back the bow and we just barely miss the, the bullseye. But in the original language, in the scriptures, when we see sin, really what sin is is simply this, is that the target's here. And us, because of our sinfulness, our brokenness, we're shooting the arrow at everything else. We're not even aiming at the target that God has set up. We're shooting and going after everything other than. And that's how we're born. That's how we come into this world. Which leads me to Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. This is, this is what God's word says, and this is where we'll camp out for a while. It says this. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. And so we just need to look at that for a moment, because here Paul is writing to the believers at Ephesus about the state that they used to be in. See, when you look there and you see that you were dead, were is a past tense verb, right? You were, it means you used to be something. It used to be in this condition, used to be in this state. So Paul is writing in this moment to remind them of something, remind them that they're a living corpse, that this is past tense, this is how you used to be, but you're no longer like this, is what he's going to let them know. So they're a living corpse, and without the gracious presence of God's Spirit in their soul, they are unable to think, to will, or to do anything that's holy and pleasing to God. In their lost condition, their lost state, the most nice lost person is still in rebellion to a holy righteous God in their greatest efforts in their sin and in their niceness and in their cuteness and in their whatever that they want to put together and do and go after whatever their motive is lost and undone at the end of the day it's for self it's for self-glorification it's for self-recognition it's to make self feel better so what Paul is telling the believers here in Ephesus is that that's the state in which you used to be in. You were unable to think, will, or do anything that was holy and pleasing to God. That's the condition that you found yourself in. And he goes on 
And he says this in verse 2. He says, in which you once walked. There it is again, past tense. You were dead in your sin. You once walked. So, so if you're here this morning and you're saved, never forget that. Never forget that, that, that as, as a saved person, yeah, you're probably going to struggle with sin. You're probably going to battle. You're probably going to uh, go against the flesh. There's going to be all of this that takes place as we're going to see here shortly. Uh, but the reality is, that's how you used to be. You used to give in to that. You used to run to that every time. You don't have to now. The book of 1 John teaches that. That if by some chance you do sin, and it's this thought and this picture of, of stumbling into it kind of brings with it and carries with it this weight of like, like, you mean to tell me that a believer sins? It's kind of the, the avenue that John is writing there in 1 John. You mean to tell me that they, they've stumbled into it or it's, it's come out of nowhere and got them. And so what Paul, I just believe he just echoes that thought here. You once walked, you used to, it's past tense. Following the course of this world, the course of this world just refers to the mindset or the customs, practices of those who are estranged from God. I mean, it just, it just describes somebody that's lost and undone, somebody that's, that, that just, the course of this world, you follow after whatever your heart longs for that's contrary to God. And it could be really bad or it cannot be really bad. It could be anything that, that takes away from his glory. I mean, so, so think about that for a moment. Just the current state of our world. It's not everywhere. I mean, when we look at the course of this world, where is this country? Where is this nation? Where is this world headed? To self-glorification. To whatever satisfies me. To whatever makes me happy. To whatever I want. That, that's the current state of our world, is it not? Because our world and our culture is going to act out anything that, as, that is anti-God. And it may not package itself in a big, nasty, dirty, mean way. But it's going to go in a direction that's contrary to God. That's the direction. That's the course. That's what Paul's talking about. It wants nothing to do with the nature or the character or the desire or the direction or the standards that God has set. But what Paul is trying to do here is to remind the believers, you were dead. You once walked. Everything about you as a believer, as a child of God, is for the glory and the renown of God. For his great name to be made known. Everything. Every decision, every action, every reaction, everything that we do is, is contrary to the, to the course of this world. Regardless of how bad we've been done, regardless of how good we've been done, regardless of what happens in our life, our response should be that of a godly nature and character. Everything for us as believers is about God's glory. The world's opposite. Self-gratification, self-glorification at all costs. And so we as believers, we have to remember that's the way that we used to be. We were dead. We once walked in that, in that way. But not anymore. And then look at where Paul goes as he continues here in verse 2. He says, following the prince of the power of the air. Now this right here is going to explain to us and let us know, even at a deeper level, what's happening and what's taking place here. So we once were dead. We once walked following the course of this world. How? Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 
And so here, sons of disobedience just simply refers back, let the, the text interpret the text. So it just refers back to who he's talking about here, being in your lostness state, in your dead state, in your uh, state by which you once walked. So that the world, the course of the world, that's, that's they're following the prince of the power of the air. That's who he's talking about, lost folk here. And when he says prince of the power of the air, he's just referring to Satan. He's just talking about Satan. And Satan is an adversary of God. Satan despises and wants nothing that God has to offer. He wants to be God. And so do we know about Satan? He's the accuser of God's saints. Satan was an angel that rebelled against God. He's a fallen angel. He's accursed is what he is. The scriptures references Satan like this as the evil one, Matthew 5, 37. As the tempter, Matthew 4, 3. As the ruler and the prince of this age. Satan's main objective is to derail the sovereign plan of God. He wants to upset. He wants to throw it off. He wants to mess it up. And as he does that, he wants to destroy God's people. He wants to destroy God's people. He wants us to continue to follow after the course of this world by which he rules and reigns over so he thinks. As he entices, as he lures, as he reminds us of how great so-and-so has it, as he reminds us of how much we need this. It's so funny, right? Needs and wants. Is it really a need or is it a want? And at the end of the day, what's the motive even behind that? Is it for the glory and honor of God? Or is it for the glory and honor of self? Selfish desires, selfish wants. And so he wants to derail at all costs God's plan and God's people. He can't stand us 1 Peter 5.8 says it like this. It'll be on the screen. It says it like this. It says, be sober-minded and watchful. It's this thought of being able to, to think and to look at and to assess in a clear, good way as it, as it uh, uh, wraps itself around the reality of the way that God will do it. Be sober-minded and to be watchful. What, what he's saying here in 1 Peter is this, is that, that we need to be on guard. We need to be looking. Like you don't, you don't set a, a soldier out into the world and just let him go into battle without, without anything, without any uh, uh, weapons, without any ammunition, without any backup, without anything. You just say, okay, go, go for it, buddy. Go do it. Good luck. Where's my gun? No, 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 just go. No, no, no. They go because they have purpose. They, have, they know what their mission is. And church, it's the same thing for us. We have got to be sober-minded. We have got to be watchful. Why? Because look at what he says. Your adversary, adversary is just an enemy. Like we live in a world as believers where we have enemies. And I'm not talking about flesh and blood. Bible teaches that, that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Your jerk neighbor may be a jerk neighbor, but that's not who we're fighting against. There's, there's something deeper going on there. Your jerk boss may be a jerk boss, but that's not the issue at hand. The issue is much, much deeper than that. We don't fight against flesh and blood. That's not who the enemy is. Peter here says, this is who the enemy is. We have an adversary. And then he says it again, the devil. The exact same thing that Paul tells us here in Ephesians 2. Our adversary, our enemy, the devil, what does he do? He prowls around like a roaring lion. So Satan's proud. Satan's on the move. What's Satan doing? He, he's hunting. He's hunting. He wants to disturb the sovereign will of God. He wants to upset and disrupt the followers and the children of God. Any way possible. I mean, have you ever watched like National Geographic and any of that stuff? Have you ever watched how a lion hunts? Man, they're cunning, are they not? Man, I was watching something the other day and as I was watching, I'm just like, man, man. 
I mean, it will just lay there in the tall weeds for as long as it needs to until the right time to attack. And then what does it do? It pounces. And once it pounces and it takes its prey victim and it starts to tear it to shreds, it lets out this roar like none other. But man, it's cunning, is it not? Man, I mean, it's patient, it's, it's well thought out, it's crafty. And when the right time comes, it attacks. Church, hear me, Satan's the same way. The same way. See, my fear is he's nothing like what we would think. Nothing like what we would picture. We think of the little guy in spandex. I mean, who's scared of a guy in spandex, right? It's all red, horns, pitchfork, tail, and like a, like, kind of like a weird cool mustache. I don't know what your picture of Satan looks like, but that was mine growing up. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a pirate. Is he not a pirate? I don't know, but it's kind of cool. And my fear is that's kind of how we picture him. I mean, honestly, like you see that guy on the corner, you're not running toward him. Maybe to take a picture to post for somebody else to see, but, but like, you're not, like you're not striking up conversation. You're staying away from him. He, he, he's, he's just, he's scary. He's weird. Whatever your fear is, and my fear is that we've, we've lost the reality of who Satan is. And so, so, Scott, you're saying that we as believers believe in Satan. I believe in Satan more than I do the men and women sitting in this room that are actually here. God's word outlines. God, God's word describes God's word paints a picture of who he's. I mean, do you not hear the verbiage used? He's like a roaring lion. He's walking around looking to devour. I mean, who's got a pet lion in their backyard? Why? Why not? You just don't get those as pets. They're apex predators, right? Their one job is to kill. That's what they do, kill and eat. So why do we flirt? Why, why do we allow? C.S. Lewis puts it like this. I, just, I think this quote really kind of helped maybe outline some things for us because we have to have a, an even good balance of who he is. So yes, we believe in him, but, but hear me, church, we've got power over. He's not like God. He's not everywhere at all times. He's not omnipresent. He's not uh, omnipotent. So he's not all-powerful. He's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. He doesn't know what you think. He is limited and puny. Satan is puny. He's a punk. He is under the rule and reign of the, of the heavenly father. I mean, he's a punk little dog on a, on a rope. It's who he is. So, so don't be afraid. As, as our daddy is bigger and greater and better, and he is a lion tamer. Do you hear me? He is a lion tamer. And that, and, and that line does nothing unless God allows and wills. So C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors in which um, our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist, or a magician with the same delight. See, what C.S. is saying is this. For us not to believe that he exists at all is a dangerous place to be. And for us to believe that he exists so much that he is in control and he is ruling and he is reigning and he's doing everything 
is a very dangerous place to be. So the, the good and healthy place for us as believers is to be in the middle and to realize and to understand and to know that we've got an enemy. To be sober-minded and to watch out for. To be aware that we're in a battle every moment of every day of one who is coming to devour. But we're not going to give him credit for everything. You know what? Sometimes I get a flat tire just because I ran over a nail. Satan doesn't always just want to puncture my tire. Because I believe that he's afraid of who might stop and I may have an opportunity to have a conversation with. So he's not the big bad bully that we think of him like that. But he also isn't so nothing that we just need to just keep on going and he's mythical and not real. Because that's not the picture that's painted either. So seeking someone to devour, he wants to destroy. He wants to keep you from coming to faith in Jesus. That's what he wants to do. Anybody know, and you don't have to show hands here, but anybody know anybody that's, that's been to church over and over and over, they just have never surrendered their life to Jesus? Maybe you have relationship with, maybe you uh, uh, know a neighbor, or maybe you know a, a family member, or maybe you know a friend. I mean, you've tried your best to live Jesus out in front of them. You've tried your best to have conversation about the resurrected Jesus with them the best you can, and you've presented the gospel, and you've talked to them, and, and you pray for like crazy, and you beg God to rescue and redeem them, only for it to end in nothing. Look at, look at this parable. I just want to tell you this parable real quick of the seed and the sower, probably one that, that you've heard often or, or, or are well, well aware of. And so Jesus tells this story of a sower who scatters seeds on four different types of soil. And this is what he says. The first type of ground was hard and the seed would not sprout or grow at all. And it became snatched up instantly. And then you have this second type of, of ground that, that it's, the seed is sown and it's stony. And the seed would, was able to be planted and begin to grow. However, it could not grow deep enough because the bedrock was so hard and it couldn't go deep and be healthy in the soil. And so what happens when the sun comes up, it withers and it dies out. And then you've got the third type of ground, which is thorny. And although the seed could kind of plant and grow, it would not compete with the number of thorns that were there. And so what it would do, it would drown it out and it would die out. Then you have the fourth ground, which is good soil, rich soil, soil that is conducent for growing, that has got nutrients in it. And so the seed is planted and it goes deep and it grows strong and it produces fruit. Well, this is what Matthew tells us in chapter 13, verse 19 of his gospel. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. You hear what's happening? Satan comes and he snatches it. A little bit of truth here, but you can't really believe that. God's not really like that. If he loved you, he would do this. Or, or that neighbor that keeps telling you about me or about, about Jesus. Well, if he loves him so much, then why does he do this? Or why does he act like that? Or why does he respond this way? Or why does he do that? I mean, there's numbers of different ways. Open up the scriptures and it could be uh, distorted and manipulated to, to, to pretty much say almost anything that you wanted to say. Who is it? That's just Satan snatching it away. People have been to church over and over and over. People have heard the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ over and over and over. So hear me, there's a dark power at work. We've got an enemy. And we need to be aware of, we need to fight against. We need to plead with God. Because Satan is a snatcher of good things. He's a manipulator and he's a deceiver. That's who he is. He is like a lion. And a lion can be so subtle. And before you even realize it, your guard's down. Your guard's down and you are being devoured. Your testimony is being shredded. Your life that you've worked so hard for in following Jesus in one moment, one decision, one split second can just be shattered. 
So church, that's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to destroy. So for a guy that struggles with lust, it could be just a three-second clip on a TV show. For a woman that struggles with insecurities, it could be a nice conversation uh, with another man that's not her husband. For the one that needs to be in control of things, it could be just a little lie. Which all of these seem so small and little and insignificant when full-grown can lead to something you never imagined. I like to say it like this, sin always takes you further than you want to go and leaves you at a place you never dreamed you'd be. Church, sin always, regardless of how small and minute we think, sin always takes you to a place you never want to be, makes you do things that you never thought was possible, and it spits you out and puts you at that place that you'd never want to be to pick up the pieces, to try to reckon with, to try to figure out what's next, to try to come to some grips with what to do. That's what sin does. That's what Satan does. It's like this, and I think I've told this story before, but I just think it's so fitting to kind of outline what we need to do with sin. Because I think we're, we're so, we live in a world where nothing can control us. We can just do it ourselves, or we can do whatever we want to do. And, and, and we've got to be careful, and we've got to be on guard. Because I don't believe that God's impressed with how close you can get to sin, but he's rather more impressed with how far you stay away from it. And, and so I saw a commercial a while back, and its commercial was for shampoo. And so what do you do with shampoo? You've got to sell it. And so the only way to sell it is with a half-naked lady, right? That's not how I judge my shampoo. Really, my, my, the way that I judge what shampoo, I'm going to guess whatever's the cheapest that day. I mean, with hair like this, who cares, right? You know what I'm talking about, brother. That's right. So I just, so I go for the cheap kind, but anyway, so I was watching this commercial and, and it's called When Animals Attack. Yes, yeah, so you see where we're going? So there's this lady, she comes out in this robe and she's got the shampoo and they've told her all that she's going to say and she's going to go in this cage with a lion and she's going to lay on the lion and she lays on the lion, she's going to talk about the shampoo. Of course, the robe's going to be off, she's going to talk about the shampoo in her bathing suit because that's, I don't know why, that's just, anyways, we'll get to that later in the series. But, so she's there and so they've, all that, so she steps in and she, she's kind of, like a little scared of it at first, which is a great response to a live being lying in a cage. And so they finally console her and they get her over there where she needs to be and she kind of touches the line and everything's okay. This is okay, all right, okay, nice cat. And like she, she's getting comfortable around the lion in the cage with trainers with like sticks and stuff and like shockers just in case. Red flag, right? Red flag's everywhere. So she's there, and so she's doing it, and she begins to do it, and you can see the cat just being cat. Like, the lion's just doing a lion thing, like licking his paw, like doing whatever it's doing. Cute little thing. And all of a sudden, it realizes, and you can just, like, see it in the line. Like, it, it, looks, at, it looks at this steak that it's about to devour. I, I mean, it, I mean it, she's laying there doing her little spot, and they're doing it. And all of a sudden, the lion realizes that it's got this fresh meat right here. And it's lunchtime in its stomach for whatever reason. And so what does the lion do? It starts to attack her. To which I say, that's what lions do. Apex predators, they eat, they kill stuff. What I'm trying to bring to your attention and point out to you is that's exactly what sin does. Don't step in the cage with it. Stay away from 
Beg God to break your heart. Beg God to put a holy and righteous fear for him in your heart whereby you want nothing to do with sin, nothing to do with rebellion, no matter how small, no matter how little, because hear me, it will take you to a place that you do not want to go and it will leave you in the cage with the lion. And the lion will devour because that's what the lion does. And so Paul goes on and he says this in verse 3. He says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Do you see that again? He, he just continues to talk to the believers there at Ephesus in past tense. Once lived, lived past tense back in that time in the passions of your flesh. It's the selfish part of our nature that causes us to put our own needs ahead of everything else. And he's like, remember, you used to be there. You once were dead. You once walked in the way in the course of this world. You, you once lived in the passions of the flesh. You used to be there. And this is how you did it, by carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. You were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I mean, is that not just a perfect picture of our world? Where our world, where our culture is? Natural children of wrath. So church, when we look at our world, when we look at the situations and the circumstances and the responses and the lack of responses and the this and the that, whatever the this and the that may be, We've got to remember something. There's a world that's lost. And how is the lost world going to act? Like the lost world. The great news of the gospel is that we get to be uh, uh, glimpses of light in a dark world. Okay, this is the message of the world, but hey, there's a message contrary to it. One that we believe is better, one that we believe will set free, one that we believe will rescue and redeem. And that's who we get to be. We get to be agents of the light. We get to take light to darkness. We get to be a lion tamer. That's what we get to do. Not a lion tamer. That's, that's a horrible use of. We get to be a lion killer. That's what, we don't want to tame the lion. You can't tame sin. We want to destroy it. In reference to the things of this world. In reference to sin. In reference to Satan. That's what we get to do. And he reminds the people here in Ephesus. This is the case. This is the state that you used to be. All people sin. Everybody, and in doing that, you act according to your corrupt nature. And so the heart of every man, every woman, every child is desperately corrupt. You ever watch little kids play? We were on vacation this past week. They got it in them. Wicked little things they are. And I love my two greatly, so much so that we decided we'd try to go for a third. And if September everything works like it's supposed to, we're going to have another little wicked thing running around one day. We're just glutton for punishment. No, it's because we want to be agents of light and our hope and our prayers that God would rescue and redeem our boys. We don't know what this next one's going to be, but that God would rescue and redeem and they would be little agents of light in a dark world. But the nature that they come out with is corrupt and is fallen. And so that's the first thing that we need to be made aware of, sin. And this reality should be very heartbreaking and cause deep desperation for us. Should cause deep desperation. So as Matt and Hannah come back up to lead us in a moment of response, as a result of sin, what we have is redemptive history. The great news of the gospel is that's, that's not where the story ends. Sin enters the world, fractures, and it breaks, and it messes up. But what happens is God is at work redeeming, reclaiming, renewing. He's at work saving and so the reality of sin makes redemption necessary. We need to be made right. We need to be rescued. 
Because we've all rebelled against God in our sin. We've all stand under eternal condemnation unless we find the forgiveness that's only found in Christ Jesus. Every one of us. So church, to know the extent, the origin, the nature, the consequences of sin, what it does is it helps us make sense of history and the current state of our world. So when we look at our world and we say, what in the world? We're reminded that it's fallen. We're reminded that it's fractured. We're reminded that it's broken. Why? Because man has fallen. Man is fractured. Man is broken. And left in that state, lost man is going to act like lost man. Lost woman is going to act like lost woman. Lost child is going to act like a lost child. Because that's their nature. That's their inclination. That's, that's how they respond and act and, and do that of a fallen, lost, sinful, wicked enemy of God and there's no right nice neat way cool way to package that to paint it that that's the reality but here hear me more importantly the hope is that what it'll do is it'll cause us to flee and to run to Jesus with great urgency that's the hope and it'll hopefully it'll cause us to vote, to devote ourselves to walking in his ways that point this world to his holiness to his righteousness that's what our hope and our prayer is. The other world's fallen. The other world's broken. So when we look and we see crazy things happening, things that make no sense, things that, that just causes you to scratch your head and you're like, would a normal person act that way? The answer is yes. Yes, a normal person would. A person normal apart from God is going to respond in a way that's anti-God, in a way that's selfish, in a way that, that brings pleasure for a moment, in a way that, that, that's anti-against the standards and expectations of God. So when we see and we look through those lenses, man, we can understand at a deeper level what's happening. And so this morning, if anything that I've said or anything that I've read maybe describes the way that you feel or maybe you feel God kind of just pulling, maybe the seed has been sown this morning on the soil of your heart, whether you're sitting in a place or whether you're watching online, maybe this morning the proclamation of God's truth and God's word as it pertains to sin and fallenness of man. And in that moment, God has stirred in your heart this reality of, and that, that, that describes me. Why do I keep running back to? Why do I keep living like? Why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep and have no heartbeat and desire for the things of God, for the ways of God? Maybe it's because you're anti-God and you're in the ways of the world. You're in the ways of self. Following that wave, however it may blow and go and crash. And so if that's the case this morning and God's speaking to your heart, and I want to encourage you all the more to move toward him in faith. Move toward him in faith and belief that his son came to rescue and redeem. And on the cross, he paid the penalty for the sin that I'm talking about. That he has done away with all guilt and shame for the believer and the child of God. That he has taken our rightful place upon that cross and he has become the perfect sacrifice that we could never become or bring. And he has done that on our behalf and all we have to do is trust him in salvation and move toward him in faith and he'll restore and redeem and make right everything that is broken as it pertains to relationship with him and so as we have a time of just reflection and a time of, of worship here at the end man if you want to talk I'll be here and would love to talk or pray with you 
If you're online watching, man, I would encourage you, please respond. I know you can respond on, online in this moment. On Facebook there, there's a place. Or if you want to send a private message, you can do that. But we would love to have more conversation with you as it pertains to what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, what it means to be set free from this bondage of sin, to shake those chains off once and for all and be made whole in Christ Jesus. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what God stirred in your heart. But as we walk through this series and we look at what in the world is going on, may we have a foundation, a lens, and a filter to run everything through whereby we can look at and we can come to a greater understanding that these are just symptoms of a greater issue at hand. And it's, this, and it's the issue of sin. It's the issue of, of this world being fractured and of man being lost and anti-God. And so for us as believers, we get to move into and we get to be agents of light and we get to, to push toward who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. Father, help us this morning in this place. Hear your word, hear your truth. Act in a way that brings you glory and honor. Father, again, if there be one that don't know you as Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that you rescue, redeem, move in a mighty way. God, if it be one listening online, do the same thing. Jesus, we love you, we need you. Move in a mighty way. In your name we pray, amen. Oh, 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 oh,